So um, I have to tell you that um, I am excited to preach this message today. Um, we're at this point in this message series that we're doing here at the river called Tomorrow People um, that we can really drill, duff, drill down into the stuff that really helps people grow. My, my hope today is, is um, that this is really going to speak to your hearts today. Um, as I was thinking about this on Friday morning in the pool, um, I usually work out most days and go to the pool. I do some of my best thinking in the pool for some reason. And um, I thought, I thought this, um, and maybe I'm being a little overdramatic, but I thought, you know, if folks at the river remember nothing else of what I've preached over 20 years um, here at the river, but they remember this message, I, I, I could, I'm good with it. I could live with that. Have I got your attention? Okay. Um, as you know, we've been, um, we've been here in the last few weeks, we've, we've talked about what it means to be a tomorrow person. That is, someone who doesn't just live for today, because so many people in our culture just live for the moment. They just live for the, the now. Tomorrow people are people who live their lives in the light of eternity, in the light of the coming kingdom of Jesus. This world, while good and beautiful in so many ways, is not the way it's supposed to be. Racism, injustice, inequality, greed, Donald Trump, the list of ills goes, they go, goes on and on, right? And why is this? Well, the short answer is, is human sin. The willfulness that lives in each one of us, each one of us that wants our will to, to rule the day. We want to do what we want to do. Now, this is only possible. This is only possible because God has allowed it. You see, temporarily, he has chosen to limit himself and to allow you and me to exercise free will. So, so you might ask, if all of this, if this you know, offering us free will has led to so much evil in the world, has led to so much pain and, and all sorts of diff, you know, difficult things, then why would God allow it? Why would God choose to have the world unfold in this way? Well, well let me ask you this. What's better? To, to have a child or children who love you because they have to love you? In other words, their compliance is, is guaranteed. Some of you parents out there are thinking, i take a few days of, of total compliance. That'd be great. Or, now stay with me here, or to have a child or, or, or children who love you freely. Well, if, if you just think about it for a few minutes, it's, it's obvious, right, that you would choose the former. Because, well, to be truthful, you know, the latter, on one level, isn't even love. It's, it's just a robotic relationship. This is why God sovereignly chose to, to limit himself. It allows us the freedom to love him or not to love him. Should we choose not to love him and to love ourselves in the building of our own earthly kingdom instead, then great evil is possible. And human history is a testament of that. I mean, just open up any history textbook, textbook and you will see that human beings over the centuries have been ca capable of all kinds of evil. However, God, God is not standing idly by and allowing human sin to flourish unfettered. 
No, he has done something amazing in human history. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to become one of us, to become flesh and blood, and to show us how to live a life of love, how to love God and how to love other people. This is what the Bible means when it says that Jesus made the kingdom available to us. Not only did he model for us what it was to live this, this life of love, not only did he embody it, but he invited human beings to follow him in living it themselves. He invited them to enter into it and be saved. Saved from what, you might ask? Well, from themselves, all right? As I said last week, our greatest need is not to be saved from what might happen to us, i.e. going to hell, that's how the gospel is often framed, but to be saved from what might happen in us. We need to be saved not from where we might end up, but from who we might become. Understand, friends, hell, hell is not a destination, it's a state of being. Are you with me? Now, this life, this life that Jesus has made available, you might ask, well, to who has he made it available? And the answer to that question is everybody. Everybody. There is not a human being on the face of this planet that it's not available to. This is what Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection accomplished for us. Listen to Colossians 1. It makes it absolutely clear. It says, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, that is Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself, listen now, all things, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Listen, you've got to understand this. Your salvation, your opportunity, your ticket, so to speak, to enter into the saved life that Jesus has for you is already bought and paid for. Okay? You can't earn it. It's just a free gift of grace. The only question remaining is this. Will you choose to enter into it? Or will you not? Of course, this begs the question, how? How do we enter into the kingdom of God, this glorious life of love that Jesus has made available? How do we enter into it? Well, let me answer that question in this way. I think one of the greatest problems that we have in the church today, and I'm talking about the wider church, is that so many people misunderstand the gospel. They believe that the gospel is an idea, a truth that someone must believe rather than a way of life than some, that someone must follow. I mean, John Orberg talks a lot about this. He says, in most churches, the standard question to determine whether someone is saved is this. If you should die tonight, would you know that you would be going to heaven? All right? Have, any, have you ever heard that question? Sure, a few of you. When people ask this question, what they really mean is, what is the bare minimum entrance requirements for getting into heaven, right? How do you know if you've made the cut, so to speak? And the answer to that question in, in a lot of churches is, you have to believe in Jesus. That is, he is who he said he was, and that his death paid for your sins. And as a result, churches, they go all out to get, to get people to believe this. 
Some churches encourage potential Christians to pray the sinner's prayer, right? To say, Jesus, I believe in you. I ask you to forgive my sins through your bloodshed on the cross. Take me to heaven when I die. In some churches, they talk about this belief being confirmed by some kind of spiritual experience. The Quakers talked about a strange warming of the heart. Other denominations talked about seeing the light of Jesus. Some Pentecostals talk about speaking in tongues. Other churches talk about the need to have the right theological beliefs, right? Because if you don't have the right theological beliefs, then you won't make the cut. I mean, many of us grew up in a tradition like that. For some of us, and this is extreme, we grew up in a church tradition which believed that only their particular denomination had the right beliefs, and so only their particular denomination was going to heaven. But did you know that Jesus never taught this way? He never taught this way. He never said, you have to believe the right sorts of things about the benefits of my death and resurrection to get to heaven when you die. He never said that. He never said... When you stand before the throne of God after your death, God will inspect your mind, and if you have the right kind of theological truth bumping around in your head, then you're in. And if not, well, you're hooped. Jesus never taught that. What Jesus taught is that we can begin to live the kind of life he lived now. And in living that life, be saved. Eternity, friends, is already in session. Now, you might be saying, so, so Pastor Bruce, you're, you're saying that there's no theological content to becoming a Christian? Of course there is. And, and let me see if an illustration can help here. Say I'm, I'm a personal trainer, right? And I come to you, and I say, Behold, a whole new way of life is available to you. A newer, slimmer, healthier, non-twinky-eating, better-looking you as possible. All right? Come, let me train you, and I will show you. Now, is there a certain content to this statement of mine? Of course there is, right? First of all, you have to believe me, right? You have to trust me that I actually know what I'm talking about when it comes to, to training you, and that my claims about how to be, you know, become fit are, are true. And then you have to believe that I have your best interests at heart, that I'm not just promising the world, but my real agenda is just to fleece you financially. Further, you have to believe that working out will actually lead toward a better you. Who knows, perhaps there is a Twinkie eating diet out there that leads to the same outcomes, right? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Jesus came among us, and what did he do? First of all, he established credibility and trustworthiness. How? By who he was. By his wisdom, by his power, by his love, by the way he taught. The Apostle John talks about this. He says in his, the first chapter of his gospel, the word, that is Jesus, Jesus became flesh, he writes, and made his dwelling among us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the disciples and all these people, they saw who Jesus was. They saw in Jesus a kind of a glory. They heard in his teaching a kind of a truth such that they said, we've never heard anything like this before. This is amazing. They couldn't believe it. 
This is why I always tell people who are thinking about becoming Christians to start reading the Gospels. Because if you do, then one thing you will likely, that will likely happen to you if you open up your heart is you will be struck by the credibility of Jesus. By the credibility of Jesus. This is one thing that is, is so convincing for me. Listen, if, if Jesus isn't who he said he is, okay? If he isn't the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, come among us, that would make him some kind of nut, right? Because people who claim that and aren't that, I mean, we put them in little padded rooms, don't we? And if that's true, why is it that when I read the Gospels, is Jesus so right? Right? Why is he so right about, well, well, everything? Why do his words ring so true for me? Why do they speak to my, my condition? Why are they so relevant to human life, even after 2,000 years have elapsed? For me, Jesus couldn't possibly be so full of grace and truth and still be a nut. It's one of the reasons I believe Jesus has credibility with me. And then, of course, there's the empty tomb, right? What is the resurrection but a divine endorsement, a divine validation of everything that Jesus taught and did? So is there content to the gospel? Yes. You know what it is? Jesus. Jesus. It's learning to trust in Jesus. Okay, back Back to the personal trainer illustration. Once I've established my credibility with you, once you believe in me, so to speak, as a personal trainer, what's your next step? Just believe? Just get up every morning, be in bed and say, I believe that Bruce is my personal trainer and that that's good enough for me, right? You'll start losing weight. Muscles will start to grow. No, we all know that. The next step is going to the gym, right? It's starting to work out. It's, it's doing what I tell you to do. Listen, and this is so important. The first step in becoming a Christian is not believing the right sorts of things about Jesus. Now, the more right things you believe about Jesus, the easier it will be to understand and to grow as a Christian, for sure. But listen, I've known many, many baby Christians that have, have all kinds of misunderstandings about Jesus when they first trusted him, right? But they, they chose to follow him. They chose to listen to him, and so their lives began to change. And, and if the truth be told, in this frame of existence, we'll never get to a place where we have all the information about God, Jesus, the Holy, you know, the Holy Spirit, the church, and the kingdom. We'll never get that 100% right. That's why we always have to be humble when we, we're talking about theological stuff, right? Because we'll always be a work in progress. But you see, that's okay. Because being a Christian is not, it's not about having the right information. It's about trusting Jesus. Indeed, the first step in trusting Jesus, or the first step is trusting Jesus, and then the next step is following him beginning to listen to him, apprenticing ourselves to him. And as we spend time with him, as we listen to him as our teacher and our personal spiritual trainer, we'll become 
day by day, week by week, month by month, the kind of people that God intended us to be. With each passing year, we'll become the sort of people who are more and more at home in the kingdom of God, in this way of life that Jesus brought near. Now, one last thing. Human beings do not have forever to choose to enter the kingdom of God. Listen, friends, God is incredibly patient, but one day his good and glorious kingdom will break into human history and wills, that is, all the kingdoms that stand opposed to his kingdom will come to an end. Okay? Robert Capon once wrote, one day God will will the eternal picnic to begin. The party poopers don't have all day to pray for rain. This is why it's so important for you to choose to follow Jesus today, all right? Remember, eternity is already in session. The question is, will you enter into it? Now, all of this brings me to what I really want to talk to you about this morning, and that is Jesus' teaching methodology. I try to think of a, of a better title, uh, but it kind of landed on that. Because here's the deal. When you understand this, when you understand Jesus' teaching methodology, you will understand exactly how, it, how to enter the kingdom of God. You will understand exactly how it is that Jesus saves you. So, how did Jesus teach? How did Jesus teach his disciples? How did he disciple his disciples? Well, it always begins with this. It begins with a picture, a vision of how human life and more specifically, your life and my life would look like in the kingdom. Jesus would teach, and he would say, here is what this aspect of your life would look like if you were living in the kingdom, if you were living this way of life that I have brought near. Here's the kind of person you'd become. Here's how you'd respond to the opportunities and the challenges that life places before you. Now, this is where this message is going to get fun, because um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put up a variety of topics, just put those up now, and um, here's what I want to do. I want to make this interactive for the rest of the sermon. So I need some volunteers, and I don't know how many we'll get through, depends on time. I want you to come up, I want you to choose one of these, and then I'm going to give you a passage to read that is really Jesus' teaching on this particular topic, and then I'll say a few words um, after that. We'll see how many we can get through. And, uh, but I want you to be able to choose what I'm going to preach and teach about this morning, okay? Interactive. So who wants to be the first vict uh, volunteer? Who's willing to come up? It's, it's really easy. you just got to pick a topic and read from the Bible. So if, you're, if you can't read, then don't come up. Okay, come on up. Curtis? And you can use this, this microphone right here. So, first of all, um, what topic would you like us to talk about this morning? Pride. Pride. Okay, pride. So, hold on. I just got to quickly remember what I was going to talk about when it came to pride. Um, Luke 18, verse 9 to 14. Shall I find it for you? Are you good with it? Yeah, you're probably better. Okay. Luke Okay, so this, this is yeah, Luke 18, and I want you to read um, from 9 to 14. And just, if you can read into the microphone there. This is the teaching of Jesus on the subject of pride, okay? 
To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. All right. Thanks, Curtis. The teaching of Jesus on pride. So let's talk about that. What is, what is Jesus getting at here? All right. Well, what he's getting at, bottom line, is he's saying there's two kinds of people in the world. There is the kind of person that is in touch with their own sinful nature, and then there's the kind of person that's not, all right? There is the kind of person who understands what they're capable of, their own depravity, and then there is the person who, despite the words that are coming out of their mouth, they don't get it. They don't understand it. And Jesus says, if you don't understand the reality of your own sin, what you're capable of, you will never make progress in the kingdom of God. Right? Even if, all right, even if you think you're making progress. I mean, notice what the Pharisee does. He comes to pray, but he's not really praying to God. He's not really opening up his heart to God, asking God to begin to work in his life. He's not open to change. No, he's coming to God to tell God how wonderful he already is, right? See, God, all the things that I do for you? And you see, there's an implicit bargain in that. And the bargain is, if I do the right things, if I tithe, if I go to church, if I, if I'm a, you know, if I smile at other people on the street, you know, if I don't kick dogs, right, or cats, then at the end of time, I can, tell, take, I can stand before the throne of God, I can, I can show him all these wonderful deeds that I've done, and he will say, well done, my good and faithful service, servant. Come into thy inheritance, right? So that's what's going on in this guy's mind. But because he thinks that way, because he is really all about self-improvement, you know, becoming himself in his own being the right sort of person, he can't even sin, he can't even see the sin that's lurking in his heart. I mean, notice in the parable, right? What does he do? He looks over at the publican. That's how he's often talked about, this, this sinner guy, right? He looks over and says, whoa, I'm glad I'm not him. That guy's got issues, right? And implicitly, you know what he's thinking? That guy's not making it in. He hasn't got a prayer. He doesn't fast. He doesn't tithe. He doesn't go to church. His life is a disaster, right? And Jesus says, Pride, pride is, and, and this is what over and over again he talks about how dangerous pride is. Because pride, can, it can lead you to, to, to trying to make faith your own self-improvement project. And God says, if you do that, I won't be able to work in your heart, right? See, God needed to speak to this Pharisee. He needed to say, you got a pride problem. 
You think you're in control of your own life. You think that, that you can be good enough yourself. You don't realize that I, I, need to, I need to work in your life. All right? You need to embrace the reality that the only, the only way that you, you enter into the kingdom of God is on your knees. That's why he says, this guy that comes and beats his chest and says, God, oh, God, I'm, I'm a sinner. My life is messed up. I, I, I've got so many problems. God, I don't know where to start. Right? And he's weeping because he, he's, he, he feels awful about where his life is, 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 is at at this moment. But see, now he's ready. Right? It's like, the, it's like the person that goes to the 12-step program and finally gets to that place, right? After like throwing up in garbage cans for, for 20 years, after coming home drunk, after three DUIs, after all the, all the crap that they've been through, they finally come to their, the 12-step the, the program and they say, I'm an alcoholic. But now they're ready to change. Now God can work in their lives. Now God can teach them what it means to embrace his grace and to follow him, right? See, this is why Jesus, I mean, if he's, you know who he's hard on? He's not hard on sinners because at least they're in touch with their own problems, right? The group that he's hardest on, if you read the Gospels, he's hardest on the Pharisees, all these religious people who think they have it all together but don't see that their hearts are full of, of themselves such that they can't, their hearts aren't even open to God's grace, and the change that God wants to bring, right? And Jesus says, this guy over here, he went away what? Justified, right? That's why Jesus often said, the person who's over here, this person in, is in this boat, they are more ready to receive the kingdom of God than the other guy. I've got, I can work with this, this heart. I can work with that heart. So now, um, that's, that's pride, right? We could, of course, we could say a lot more about this, but what Jesus is saying in this teaching, right? Whoever hears this teaching, he's saying, you can become this kind of person. You can become this kind of person that's justified, but it starts, it starts by opening your heart genuinely to God and embracing your own depravity, right? It doesn't end there, but that's the beginning step. You can become this kind of person. Do you know, how, you know how, good, how much good news that was to people? That's why when Jesus got up in the, uh, in the Sermon on the Mountain, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All the poor people were like, what? We're blessed? All the Pharisees have ever taught us is that, that we're, we're the outcasts. We're the losers. We're the spiritual, you know, refuge, right? We haven't got a prayer when it comes to God. Here comes Jesus and says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? That was such good news. This is why people flock to Jesus. Right? See, the truth is the kingdom of God is available to everyone, but will your pride keep you from entering into it? Oh, I can say so much more about this, but let's go on to another one. Who wants to uh, come up and spin the wheel? Somebody's got to do it. We're just going to stand here. Okay, come on. Come on up. By the way, I love your jersey. Toronto Raptors. Go Raptors. Okay, um, which one do you want to talk about? Uh, worry. 
Worry. Okay. So let me just uh, sure I get the right passage here. Okay. Matthew 6, verse 25 to 34. So if you have your Bibles, by the way, you can follow along. Matthew 6. Which, of, of course, Matthew 6 is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So um, here's Matthew 6. And, uh, again, we want 25 to 34. Okay? And come just do right here in front of the microphone. Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, about what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Uh, I keep going. Is that to 34? Oh, 34, sorry. Yeah. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Okay. Great word. So that's Jesus' teaching on worry, right? And it's probably a familiar passage because it's been, you know, it's been preached um, a lot. Um, and so Jesus wants to make a couple points here. The first thing that he wants to um, point out to everybody is he wants to say, he's like saying, hey, anybody worry out there? Any worriers out there? Any of you spend a lot of time anxious and worrying about, you know, what you're going to eat tomorrow, you know, your job, your kids? Any worriers out there? You know, Jesus dressing the crowd, and I'm sure a few people are like, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty worried, right? And uh, Jesus, okay, here's the thing that you need to understand. A couple things. First of all, worrying is a fruitless enterprise. I mean, whether you worry about tomorrow or whether you don't worry about tomorrow, tomorrow is still going to arrive, okay? It, Jesus says, all this energy that you are expending, worrying, and you know, filled with anxiety, it's, 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 it's wasted energy, all right? I mean, it's much better to do something productive than worry all the time. The second thing that Jesus wants us to understand about worry is this. Is he's saying, listen, here's what you need to remember, you have a heavenly father, right? You are not an orphan, right? You are not abandoned to this, to this earth. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you, okay? And he's in control of this world, okay? Sometimes it may not look like that because, you know, things go, go up and down and there's challenges and our, our lives never are just like always upward and to the right, right? We go through valleys and difficulties, but Jesus says, despite that, despite that, you have a heavenly Father who loves you, who sees you, who knows your name. You know how you know? Just look at how he takes care of the birds. Look at how he takes care of the littlest things in creation. Every spring, the flowers come up again. Every morning, the sun rises again. You look at all around you, and, 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 and the animals are being fed. Things are working. The creation is working. God is in control. You have a heavenly Father. So trust him, Jesus says. 
Trust him, right? Instead of saying, oh, what's going to happen to me? Right? Father, this day, I commit myself to you. I want to give all my anxieties and all my, all my problems and all, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to trust that you are going to provide for me. I may not see how it's going to happen, but I'm going to trust that in the same way you feed and take care of the rest of creation, and I'm part of creation, you're going to take care of me, right? And, and, and what Jesus is saying implicitly is he's saying, understand how, how wonderful it is to live in this way. You know, to not live every day anxious about what's going to happen tomorrow, but to live, to live in a way that you're saying, I, I, I'm going to live in a state of trust and not in a state of worry. Suddenly, all this backpack of worry that I've got on my back, I can take it off and I can leave it. Suddenly, I'm free, right? Suddenly, I, I'm okay. Now, remember what Jesus says, and it's, 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 it's really interesting um, what he says at the end of this. If we just go... Uh, Go back to it. Uh, He said, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Right? So understand what Jesus is saying. He's saying, here's the forecast for your life. Trouble today, trouble tomorrow. Okay? So Jesus is not saying, if you follow me, you'll never have any trouble. No, he's saying, there's going to be challenges to face today, and there's going to be challenges to face tomorrow. But you can face them in one of two ways. Either in a state of trust, trusting you have a father that loves you and takes care of you, or you can live in a state of fear and anxiety. Your choice. But people who live in the kingdom, they trust. They trust. Right? They get up in the morning, they give themselves in prayer to the Lord and say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Right? Give, us, give me feet for the path today. I don't know where the path will go. But I know that wherever it goes, you're going to be there with me, and, it, and the destination of that path will be you in one way or another. All right? That's what Jesus taught about worry. And again, I could say a whole bunch more about this, but again, you see how, how well, that's good news, isn't it? Imagine your life if you didn't worry all the time. All right? You'd have less heartburn, right? You, know, you wouldn't have to take so many medications. All right? All right, let's do another one. 11.39. Okay, we'll do one more. I think that's all we have time for. Daniel, come on up. What do you want to know about? Apathy. Apathy. Okay, that's a good one. Um, let me just see. Uh, where's my apathy? Okay, Matthew 25, verse 1 to 13. Matthew 25, verse 1 to 13. Can you find it? Parable of the Ten Virgins. Just right into the microphone so that that, uh, we can hear you. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came, 
Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Okay, Jesus is teaching on apathy, and I'll show you how this works. So there's really three types of parables that Jesus tells in the Bible. He tells um, us um, parables of what are called parables of grace, all right? And they're designed to help us understand the nature, the depth, the, 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 the incredible beauty of the grace of God, all right? So what might be a parable that, that explains that? Say the, the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son, right? You know, the father extends his arms, runs, and, and receives back this prodigal son. It's all grace, all right? Then, then a second type of parable are parables of the kingdom. Now, parables of the kingdom are designed to help us understand how the kingdom works, okay? And I won't go too far into that. The third type of parable is parables of judgment, okay? Now, which type of parable do you think this is? It's a parable of judgment, yes. So Jesus is trying to explain that while God is grace-filled and while the kingdom of God has been made available to every single person on the face of the planet, I talked about this earlier, one day, one day, the bridegroom is going to come back, all right? And at that moment, the opportunity to enter into the kingdom, to enter into the door of the banquet hall, will be shut, okay? And this is a, it's, it's kind of a terrible thing to think about, but, but listen, the door has been opened. The door is, is open right now. You have a chance to have, to have your lamps filled with oil, and, and, and you have a chance to be ready. You have a chance to enter into this life that's available to every single human being, but you must enter in. You must choose it, Right? There will come a time in history where the bridegroom will come back. And if you are not ready, okay, if the flame of your faith or the flame of your willingness to follow Jesus in your life, if it's, if it's snuffed out, all right, or if there's no more oil left so you can't light your lamp, right, not good, not good, right? Now, there's a couple other really interesting uh, things that are going on here because one of the principles that Jesus is teaching is that your spiritual life, okay, your spiritual life before God cannot be borrowed from someone else, all right? You can't say, I'm so glad my grandma has a great faith, right? I wish I had her faith, right? No, God is saying, you need to take responsibility for your own spiritual life. You have a soul, and you need to pay attention to it. You can't just ignore it your whole life and then say to a person over there who is really spiritual, hey, give me some of your spirituality, right? Can I, can I touch you, right? It doesn't work that way, Jesus says. This is a project that you must do. And Jesus, I get it. He says, I understand. There's concerns and, and there's worries and maybe it seems like the bridegroom is delayed for a while and you're not quite sure, you know. And, and so it's so easy to get caught up in the stuff of this world and to just forget about your, the fact that you have a soul and that, and that Jesus is invite, inviting you to enter into the life of the kingdom, right? It's just so easy to get, you know, all sorts of stuff happens, right? Ask those bridesmaids. You know, when, when they're knocking on the door, Ask them and say, why didn't you? Why didn't you live a life full of, of, of grace and truth? Why didn't you pursue life in the kingdom? Why didn't you enter in? Why didn't you take your spirit, the fact that you have a spiritual reality, why didn't you take that seriously in your life? You know what they'd say? I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just didn't get around to it. Other things just seemed more important at the time. And Jesus is saying, 
all right? The bridegroom is coming. Eternity is already in session. Pay attention. Don't, t- don't get lost in all the chattel and all the stuff that's happening day to day. Keep your eyes on the big picture of what God is doing and be ready, right? Again, so much more that I could say, but we're, we're running out of time. Um, so now I want you to understand that in all of these areas, and we can take it to any one of these passages, that's why I wanted to do it in this way this morning because I wanted to show you that it doesn't matter what area of life you're talking about, Jesus, Jesus taught about all of these really important areas, right? He has teachings that you can go to and say, this, this is the nature of the kingdom, this is what it looks like. So he paints this picture, this vision of what it, it looks like to live in the kingdom. That's the first step. Then Jesus, and he did this over and over again in the Gospels, he turns to us at different parts, times, right? He's discipling his disciples, he's explaining the way of the kingdom. Every once in a while, he would stop, and he would say, okay, you must choose. You must choose to enter in. For example, Mark 8, and again, this is just one of many times that Jesus says this. Mark 8, verse 34 to 38 says this. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. So it wasn't just the disciples. He said, everybody, come here. Come here. Every, big huddle, right? Come on in. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, right? That's that pride thing, right? You must get, get over your pride, right? And take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, in other words, if I want to like keep my life for myself, make my own decisions, choose, you know, I want to stay in control in the driver's seat of my own life, will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, in other words, who says, help me, teach me how to live this life, to live the life of the kingdom, will save it, right? They'll save their life. And Jesus says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul, right? Alexis, right? A house in Hawaii? I mean, at the end of the day, there's nothing worth more than your soul, right? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the, with the holy angels, okay? So that's just one. And Jesus, time to time, you got to choose. you got to make a decision. you got to be intentional about it. you got to count the cost. you got to pick up your cross. you got to say, I am going to live the life of the kingdom. You must choose to enter in. All right. So that's the second step. You know, it, it, it doesn't happen by osmosis. Again, I mean, if it's, if it's, if it's you know, training in the morning, you, you don't get fit by sleeping in your bed and just believing that, that getting fit is possible. You get fit by going to the gym. And you have to decide to do it. All right. And then there's the third aspect of Jesus' teaching methodology. And um, I'm just going to get a chance to touch on this today, and I'm just trying to figure out if we'll go into this a little bit more next week. Um, and that is spiritual disciplines. Listen, Jesus did not expect us to be able to will ourselves into the place, or, or to will ourselves to live in the kingdom once he explained it. All right? So in other words, he understands that worry and, 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 and power and money and sex and truth-telling and self-control, that these are all difficult for us, right? That we struggle in, this area, in these areas, right? So he painted the picture. This is the kind of person you can become. You've got to decide to do it. Now, and then he invited us into some of the practices that would allow us to become these kind of people. So let's just look back. Um, on some of the ones we looked at. So let's look at pride, right? We looked at pride as the first one. What would be a spiritual practice that would help us enter into the kingdom to get past our pride? Well, one thing would be 
confession, right? To actually, really confess. To come and say, God, this is the truth about me. And that gets, that helps with pride, right? Regular confession, right? Or how about um, serving? Like, Genuine serving, right? Because when you're full of pride, like this guy was, he's like, you know, you think he would have ever gone over to the, you know, uh, um, you know, the, the mustard seed where that publican was, you know, was hanging out? He'd be like, I'm not going over there, a bunch of spiritual losers. I'm hanging out with the spiritually intelligent people, with all the wonderful people that I know. So serving especially serving the poor, really helps us in terms of dealing with our pride because what happens when we serve, we, we start to realize they're real people and they struggle with the same problems that I do. You know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Kathy said, you know, I'm not going to be in church. Kathy is on staff. Uh, she just passed to a care here at the, at the church. We love her. And she says, I'm not going to be in church. I said, why? She says, well, I'm going down to one of the shelters and I'm doing um, toe maintenance or, or foot maintenance. What did you call it, Kathy? Foot care. And I said, oh boy, I don't think I could do that. I said, does it get pretty gross? She goes, nasty, right? I'll tell you though, nothing probably, you know, gets after pride than doing something like that, right, for a bit. Just serving at the deepest levels because then it's, then suddenly it's, it's, it's like, hey, hey, wait a minute, Right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not good at, I'm, I'm not um, exempt from or, or too good to do this is what I'm trying to say, right? You realize, no, this is what it means to love people in a genuine way, all right? So those are just a couple uh, spiritual practices that we could um, get after. Uh, the second one, what was the second one again? Worry, okay. Um, what are some things that you could do to address worry in your life? Well, one of them, I think, is, is prayer, right? Is to start the day with prayer. Just to say, God, um, I, I'm going to be tempted today to worry about this or about that or about the big meeting that I have or about um, all kinds of different things in my life. But instead of worrying, I'm going to try to trust you as best as I can, all right? I'm going to try to trust you as best as I can. And, um, and then I think a, a couple other things would help. Um, count your blessings, right? I mean, when we worry, we, and notice now even for us, because we live in such an affluent society, we end up worrying about things that we shouldn't even be worrying about, right? I mean, am I going to get the really expensive car or am I going to get the Toyota, right? And, and, and so when you start counting your blessings, you start realizing, wait a minute, I'm worried about a bunch of stuff that I don't even need to be worried about. So, so counting your blessings is a practice that, that might help you in terms of, of not worrying. Then um, another thing might be just sort of constantly casting your worries on Jesus, right? I mean, there's a wonderful phrase in the Bible that you can memorize, when I am afraid, I will trust in you, right? So when you get to those junctures in your life where you're tempted to worry, you can say, Jesus, I'm going to give this to you. I'm not going to worry about this. I'm going to trust that I have a heavenly father that loves and cares for me, all right? So last one, apathy, all right? What might be some spiritual practices that we could get after with, with apathy? Um, well, I think with apathy, again, a regular prayer and probably some solitude as well, right? 
Because have you ever noticed when you get quiet, that's when you actually, um, you start to, to, to start really thinking about your life and you start actually going into the soul and you start thinking about the value of your soul. So that's a practice. So again, my point is, and again, we're way over time here. Um, my point is this, and I want to invite the, the band to come back up now, um, is that this is Jesus' methodology for teaching. You know, vision, then decision, and practice, Okay? This is what it means to be saved, okay? This is what it means to enter into the kingdom. This is what it means to have your life redeemed. It is to listen to Jesus. It is to apprentice ourselves to Jesus. It's to decide to follow Jesus. And then it's to begin to practice the things that will allow us to do, to live in the kingdom, to not worry but trust, to care, to not be prideful but to learn humility, is this making sense? I hope so. I hope so. And uh, we'll try to maybe do a little, a little bit more follow-up uh, next week. Um, let's, uh, let's pray. And um, Father, I, I thank you so much for sending Jesus. For, for Jesus, we, we, we love you, that you brought this way of life near, that you gave every single one of us the opportunity to enter into it, that you bought and paid for our ticket into the kingdom with your blood on the cross. Help us, Jesus, to see what you are teaching, to see the kind of life that we can live, the beauty of it, the glory of it, the kind of person that we can become. And then help us to enter in, to follow after you, and to practice the things that we need to practice in order to, to grow into the type of people that you want us to be. And Lord, we know that through it all, through it all, you are so gracious, you are so patient. Like a good, good father, as we sung about earlier in the service, you love us. You understand our, our shortcomings. You understand our problems. But you just so desperately want us to live up to our full potential and to become the sons and daughters that you know we can be. Thank you for the good news that that really is. We bless and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.